Welcome to the Super Healthy Human Podcast with your host, Dr. Roger Murphy. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. Roger Murphy, your host of the Super Healthy Human Podcast. My guest today is Christina Veselak. She's the owner of Garden Gate Counseling and the Academy for Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition, which is now located near Huntington in West Virginia. She's licensed in Colorado as well as a, as a marriage and family therapist and in Wayne, West Virginia. She works as a relapse prevention and trauma recovery coach and a mental health nutritionist. She also trains other therapists in advanced counseling skills in mental health nutrition using amino acid therapy and other nutritional protocols. Hi, Christine. I'm so glad to have you on here. You know, when I, when I read your bio, I was really intrigued because the way I really got into functional medicine 30 years ago was orthomolecular medicine, something you've been doing, you know, that long, if not longer, mm-hmm. I think, what you share with me. So I'm just so excited to have you come on here and talk a little bit about neurotransmitters and amino acid therapy and, and uh, mental health and addiction. It's, it's, it's fascinating work. And I'm just really excited to have you on here. So welcome. Well, thank you so much, Roger. It's exciting, actually, to talk to somebody who's been doing this as long as I have. Because <laughs> there aren't that many of us out there. There's not. You know, I, I wrote a book several years ago. It's out of print now called Treating and Beating Anxiety and Depression with Orthomolecular Medicine. Mm-hmm. And no one really knew that term. And it terms kind of for a while there, it was people were hearing that term. And then it's been replaced really kind of functional medicine, kind of the, the banner, you know, everything that is, you know, integrative medicine kind of comes underneath that. But Orthomolecular medicine is a really special part of functional medicine, though, isn't it? How how would you describe orthomolecular medicine? Well, the one that I, the thing I really want people to know is that orthomolecular medicine and therefore this approach to healing the total human being has been around for 50 years, possibly even longer. Yeah, You know, from the first time, the pioneers, the founders of orthomolecular medicine, Dr. Um, Abram Hoffer, Dr. Carl Pfeiffer, and sort of their group, which included Bill Wilson, who was one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody knows that part. Um, you know, th- th- they've been doing this since the 50s. You know, I didn't know that about about um, <clears throat> alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that mm-hmm. there was a that there was a, a connection there. I had no idea. And the the names that you reeled off, Hoffer and Pfeiffer and um, Slagle. I mean, there's there's I mean, there's a whole host of them that are my my heroes. You know, because neurotransmitters and brain health was something that I got interested in early on in my career. And it's something that has really served me well, learning that model. Um, well, tell me a little about your work, because your work is really interesting as a psychotherapist. Um, you know, we tend to think psycho- psychotherapist is doing a lot of talk therapy, mm-hmm. uh, but and you do that as well. But you really have well. the best of what we know with nutrition and how that affects somebody's uh, mental health and being able to apply that to help your clients. So tell me a little bit about your work. You know, the way I've started thinking about it most recently, I've been doing this for a very long time and I've struggled to find language that really worked. But 
the language I've stumbled upon that I now love is the idea of feeding the recovering brain, whether you're recovering from um, substance use, uh, misuse disorders or uh, mental health disorders. The fact is, and we all forget this, Roger, is that our brain to function optimally needs the right nutrients. So it's our brain's job to help us cope with stress optimally. But to do that, it needs to be fed optimally. Absolutely. And, And so, you know, this is probably foreign to a lot of people that you know, can put the connection between the nutrients that the brain needs or is lacking can right. affect an addiction, right? So you've been able can to it, take that information and apply it to help your patients to be able to, to overcome all, uh, different addictions and um, whether that's alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. Is that, is that correct? That's right. Addictions and mental health disorders. So let's start with the mental health piece and then we'll move to the addictive piece. And that's because, as I said, our brain is what drives our ability to cope with stress, our feelings, our perceptions, our ability to use and learn and use skills, right? All of this is dependent upon our brain being in balance, Mm -hmm. the ability to sleep, the ability to wake up, to relax, right? To learn, all of this is dependent upon the brain and the brain being in balanced and well-fed and functioning optimally. And we've known for decades what the brain needs in order to function optimally and what happens when it's not getting these nutrients. But here's the tragic thing. The tragic thing is that this is not part of either the mental health conversation Mm. or the addiction recovery conversation. Nobody talks about the fact that the brain is the driver both of ill mental health and addictive disorders when it's out of balance and depleted, as well as the driver of health. To make good use of psychotherapy, our brain needs to be in balance. Mm -hmm. To make good use of any form of treatment, our brain needs to be in balance. But it's ignored all the time. And the only time it's not ignored is for psychiatrists to throw more medication at it. Well, that tweaks it, but it doesn't fix the underlying problem, which is a starving brain. Do you find, Christina, do you find a lot of blowback from psychiatrists? You know, I think, I think what I encountered years ago when I was working with uh, mentally challenged, mental health, mood disorder patients, I should say, mm-hmm. um, that they, you know, what they came to, to, you know, their, their common experience was they would go to the psychiatrist and rather than get, getting talk therapy, it, it you know, it evolved, now it's where you go and you get a pill. And if that pill doesn't work, you get another pill. And before you know mm-hmm. it, you're on two or three different antidepressants or benzodiazepines, anti-anxiety medication, whatever. And then unfortunately, you know, then you have to take other medications because of that medication, unfortunately, because of side effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I had one client who had been seeing her psychiatrist for, I'd say 20 years, had been on medication, was not doing very well, even on medication came to me for therapy. And then when I said, I'm also a mental health nutritionist, she kind of liked that idea. 
So I got her on the right nutrients, and then we did some laboratory testing, discovered she actually had a genetic disorder called pyroluria, Mm. which gets in the way of the brain being able to make neurotransmitters. We addressed it using nutrients. She got better. She got better to the point she was able to get off her um, medications. So she went to her psychiatrist and said, hey, I want to get off these meds because I'm feeling great. And the psychiatrist started yelling at her, angry at her for even thinking that nutrients could make her better, that that was even a possibility. So she quit her doctor. She fired her. Yeah, that's that's what I would have encouraged you to do. That's what I tell my patients is fire your doctor. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't occur to most conventional doctors and even and even those in the public that it's not about appeal. You know, it, it, we, we turn to an anti, antidepressant if we have low moods. And I think uh, and I, the, the stats may have changed. But at one point, uh, something like one in six, one in seven females in the United States was on an antidepressant and, and oftentimes more than one antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And something like one in five office visits with a, a female going to a male, a male doctor ended with the male doctor recommending that the female patient go on another antidepressant or an antidepressant. And, you know, I like to say this, it's kind of tongue in cheek. And, but, you it's know, no practice, if you ask me, it, you know, it is, it is, but it's the mentality, right? It's a mentality. We've got a pill for every problem, but, men, you know, problems with mental health, low moods, anxiety addiction disorders, you know, these are all symptoms of something that's underneath, you know, something that's driving that. And, uh, and and no one has a, no one has a Prozac deficiency or an antidepressant deficiency, right? But they can have nutrient deficiencies. I mean, they can have things that are causing them to experience this, 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 uh, you know, problem with their mental health or addiction. And um, unfortunately, though, in conventional medicine, it's about giving someone a pill to treat the symptom. Well, it's, it's really, really sad. And I think I read some stats from last year saying one in six Americans are now on an, uh, psychotropic medication. Yeah. And that we have like a million more people with mental health issues than we did a year ago, which makes sense with COVID. Sure. But the, what all of that is telling us is that the current approach to mental health treatment and addiction treatment as well is not working. And it has not worked for a very long time. And I think it's because they're attacking the wrong problem Mm -hmm. and they're not asking the right questions. So I think of it in terms of a three-legged stool. And that is that we know that that addictive disorders as well as mental health disorders are biochemical, psychosocial, Mm -hmm. we sort of stick those together, and spiritual in order, in origin. And therefore, all three need to be addressed at more or less the same time for people to have a robust recovery. Mm -hmm. But because the brain is ignored, the biochemistry is ignored, nobody's looking under the hood to find the actual biochemical drivers which could be so many things. It could be lack of nutrients. It could be food intolerances. It could be toxicity. You know, this is what we're seeing with post with long COVID um, is that they're only treating the psychosocial and spiritual legs of the stool. 
Well, if you've ever tried to sit on a three-legged stool with only two legs. You're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? Maybe if you, if you really concentrate and work really hard to keep your balance, you might manage it for a while until you get distracted. Now, some people eat well because they've been taught to. And once the other issues are addressed, their brain's in line and they do just fine. Um, but many, many, many people were never taught to eat well and were never taught that it mattered to mental health or addiction recovery. Hmm. I think the disconnect is, is that people have become kind of jaded to this whole idea. You are what you eat. Right. But that's true. I mean, that, that is true. The way you look, it is kind you, of. you know, the health of your hair, your skin, mm-hmm. your, I mean, it, it's, you know, your, how your hormones work. And in particular with mental health, I mean, what creates serotonin is the foods that you eat. So you should be getting L-tryptophan and amino acid in the proteins that you eat. Mm-hmm. And that L-tryptophan should turn into 5-hydroxytryptophan. And then that, mm-hmm. and that's combined with certain B vitamins, magnesium, vitamin C, that turns into serotonin. It does. Uh, you know, when you're beautifully, you know, what's that? Be- beautifully turns in to yeah. serotonin. Yes, yes. And so, you know, uh, if you're using an antidepressant, people need to realize number one is that the antidepressant, um, it doesn't make more serotonin, it only helps you hang on to what serotonin you have in your brain. Exactly. If you're deficient, Genetically, you know, just the way God made you, you have a genetic glitch. You can't turn the foods that you eat into serotonin or you've been under a lot of stress and gotten run down or Mm -hmm. there's numerous things you said diet can create these deficiencies. If you're taking an antidepressant, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, you know, to help you reuptake this and there's nothing to reuptake, it isn't going to do anything. And uh, so people, people don't realize that the foods that you eat turn into your brain chemicals. And to the, to the extent that you're you know, trying to eat healthy and doing the things that you need to do will dictate a, a big part of whether you're going to be successful in your and having an optimal mental health. Well, absolutely. And these amino acids that turn into the neurotransmitters come from the protein we eat. And so we recommend, and I know, you know, there's the intermittent fasting school, and we can talk about that. But for people in really early recovery, I believe that they need to be eating protein, good minimum 15 to 20 grams of protein every four hours Mm. to do two things. One, to provide enough precursors for the neurotransmitters to remake themselves or the brain to fill up those little swimming pools filled with neurotransmitters in the brain. And the other is to keep that sugar balanced. Because what we found is that low or dropping blood sugar triggers an adrenaline response. And adrenaline causes horrific problems in susceptible people. And in fact, in my work, we have found that missing a meal is probably the number one relapse trigger for all addiction. Mm, Because of what happens to the executive functioning in your prefrontal cortex when a meal is missed. Mm. It's tremendous. Mm. So, uh, Christina, tell me what are, so typically if someone's not, um, uh, who's an alcoholic, let's just Mm -hmm. take someone who's, you know, has that challenge. In conventional medicine, 
how is that addressed or is it addressed? I mean, what are, what are some of the conventional approaches to helping somebody who's an alcoholic that wants to overcome that? Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, they may be put on antabuse so that they get really sick if they drink alcohol mm -hmm. because it keeps the liver from processing it. Secondly, they may be put on um, naloxone or some other drug to keep the alcohol from firing the opioid part of our brain so it doesn't work. People, it doesn't work to make you feel better, but that has negative side effects down the road. And thirdly, they... Um, if it's a good treatment program, they identify and work on your trauma, they help you change your thinking, and they give you lots of emotional support, okay? Addressing two legs of the stool yeah. and suppressing normal biochemistry. They don't look for the underlying reasons. Yeah. Um, there's like an 80% relapse rate. Yeah, I knew it wasn't very, very high. Yeah. So 80% of the people that go through kind of a conventional approach are going to fail and probably fail go. more than once, right? Yep. Yeah. Because the third leg of the stool is not there because the mm -hmm. brain is not being addressed or fed. Mm -hmm. So in our side of things, what we do is we first want to identify what type of alcoholism biotype you have, because not all alcoholism is the same. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, um, and therefore different types of nutrient approaches are required depending upon what alcoholism biotype you have. Mm -hmm. Jen Matthew Larson identified this really clearly in her wonderful book, Seven Weeks to Sobriety, that was first published called Alcoholism, the Biochemical Connection, mm -hmm. I think the early 90s. Amazing book. It's a great book. Yeah, and she just passed away a few years ago. Well, she identified these um, four biochemical biotypes for um, alcohol use disorder. But the other thing we do is we identify which neurotransmitter system is most depleted by the alcohol use. Alcohol fires all our mood-regulating neurotransmitter systems. There are basically four of them. And alcohol basically can address whatever, whatever ails you, right? If you don't have enough energy, alcohol can um, fix that temporarily. If you're anxious and worried and have social anxiety, have trouble sleeping because thoughts are going round and round, alcohol can fix that temporarily. If you need relaxing, if you need comfort and soothing, alcohol can fix that temporarily. But in the process, it depletes all of these neurotransmitters. And now you've got tolerance going, and now you need more to get the same effect. And things get messier and messier. So you stop using, and now you go into withdrawal because your neurotransmitters have become so depleted that they can't step up and do their job. And now you've got cravings mm. because your brain wants to be able to step up and do its job, but now it's literally dependent on the drug. Mm -hmm. So what you do? Well, what we do is we use a wonderful assessment tool, just paper and pencil, to identify which has the symptoms of depleted neurotransmitters. So we know exactly what neurotransmitter systems are in need of help. We know exactly what nutrients are needed to rebuild those neurotransmitters. And people get well fast. A oral amino acid 
takes 20 minutes to get into the brain and start making um, new neurotransmitters and lead to a mood switch in 20 minutes. Not, not three weeks, not three weeks like an antidepressant. Not three weeks or three months, <laughs> 20 minutes. And they're anti-addictive mm -hmm. because rather than depleting the neurotransmitter systems so that you need more and more to get the same effect, they're rebuilding them so that you need less and less to get the same effect over time. So with this assessment tool, you can see what neurotransmitter they're deficient in. Mm -hmm. And then that course would lead you into what nutrients they need to be able to make mm -hmm. these neurotransmitters. These exactly. Yep. And we know exactly what those nutrients are. Yeah. So, so for someone who is an alcoholic, what typically, what typically are they, are they deficient in this driving the, the alcoholism? You know, it, this is really um, bio-individual. Mm. So it's really up to each hard individual. To yeah. yeah. It's so, it's, so it's hard to say. You really have to ask somebody, what do you like about it? What does it yeah. do for yeah. you? Or at yeah. least when you first started drinking, what did it do for you? Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. you'll have an idea of, of why they started and what neurotransmitter system is most depleted. Mm -hmm. Everything ends up firing and depleting dopamine though. Yeah, I was going. I was going to say, um, dopamine is the one that I would associate with alcoholism, or really any, probably any drug addiction. More than would be dopamine. any drug addiction. Yeah. 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 What about you know? Do you find that women tend to be more deficient in serotonin than men, and men tend to be more deficient in norepinephrine or more of the stimulating brain chemicals? And say women tend to be more deficient in serotonin or GABA. I've heard that. I'm not so sure that that's true. Um, at least in my clinical practice, I've sort of seen it spread yeah, across yeah, the yeah. board. Yeah. But part of that is because um, estrogen drives serotonin. Right. And um, uh, progesterone drives GABA. Right. And so as these hormones fluctuate throughout the month, you're going to have a normal fluctuation in neurotransmitter production. Mm -hmm. And if things are already out of balance, things, especially premenstrually, can get tremendously out of balance. Mm -hmm. Or around menopause can get tremendously out of balance. But most doctors and most treatment professionals don't bother to ask their female client what time of month it was um, when they had their slip or relapse, mm. what time of month it was when they got arrested for shoplifting, mm. right? What time of month it was dot, 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 dot. And once you map that out, very often a very clear picture occurs. Interesting. Do you, so do you find um, that, is there, is there a common nutrient that most people with addiction are deficient in? Is there, is there one? I know there's probably several, but is there one that kind of across the board? Yes. Of, yeah. Protein. I'm sorry, protein and just, protein. just macronutrients. Most people aren't eating. Yeah. If wow. you ask, so I've been asking really two questions over the last 25 years of all my clients, whether they be mental health or addiction. 
And one is, you know, I ask for a three-day food diary. I want to see what people are eating. And frequently, and I haven't tabulated, so I can't give you an exact statistic, <laughs> but more often than not, the more issues a person has, the less they're eating. Now, this, of course, becomes a downward spiral because the more depressed you are, the m- either you're going to overeat, but you're going to overeat crap food. You're not going to be eating really highly nutritious food yeah. or you're under eating because you don't have the energy to cook or shop yeah. or you're too anxious to cook and shop. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not be able to leave your bedroom yeah. because your anxiety is so bad. So very often there's this serious self-care issue that leads to a serious nutrition deficiency and down and down, down you go, because the more starving the brain is, the more symptoms you're going to have. Okay. So that's one question I ask is, are you getting that protein every four hours? Are you keeping your blood sugar balanced? I can tell you story after story of where low blood sugar leads to significant anxiety and violence. Mm. Very quick story. I had a lady come in, look at me and say, you're number eight. I said, oh, eight watt. She said, well, I've had twice daily panic attacks for 10 years. Okay. I um, have been to four psychiatrists who put me on medication, which made me feel really weird and didn't touch the panic attacks. I've been to three psychotherapists who helped a lot, helping me cope with the panic attacks and realize that I wasn't going to die from them, but didn't stop them. So you're number eight. Mm. And I said, well, what time of day are your panic attacks? Nobody had ever asked her this question, that question. Mm. She said, well, upon arising at four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, well, when you eat breakfast, does the anxiety go away? Yeah, it does. When you eat dinner, does the anxiety go away? Well, yeah, it does. Do you eat lunch or a mid-afternoon snack? No. Mm. I said, here's your problem. You've got something most likely got something called reactive hypoglycemia and your blood sugar is at its lowest when you wake up in the morning and late in the afternoon because you haven't eaten all day. And when your blood sugar drops, adrenaline kicks in and that's what's giving you your panic attack. Do this, this and this and come back and see me in a week. So she calls me five days later cancels the appointment, says, thank you so much. I have not had one panic attack for the first time in 10 years since I walked out of your office. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And 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 so with with this low blood sugar, one thing that I see oftentimes is driving that is adrenal fatigue or, you know, a lot of the stress that sets up this inability to handle stress. Stress becomes more magnified and you yeah, less tolerant of it. So it becomes, you know, this vicious cycle that you get into. And then, you know, one of the symptoms of that is this low blood sugar. But, you know, I say this all the time is really being a good doctor is being a good detective. Mm-hmm. Because if you ask the right questions and, and enough questions, usually your patient is going to give you enough clues about what it is that is the underlying cause yes. of the symptom. You know, symptoms <laughs> are just warning signs. That's all it is. Yep. Anxiety, yeah. a panic attack, it's a warning sign that something's off yeah. in this incredibly innate self-healing dynamo we call a body that God gave us. And, you know, if you can just ask enough the right questions, oftentimes you can pinpoint what's the underlying issue. And, and, and obviously you did with this patient. It's wonderful. 
Yeah, absolutely you can. And so in my school, so I run an online school teaching practitioners this whole approach to mental health and addiction recovery. In especially in my advanced class where we I teach my students what questions to ask and how to do the deep dive for the underlying drivers. Um, they end up often very quickly being able to identify things that the doctors have never even thought of, not because the doctor's uneducated, but because the doctor doesn't, it, the doctor has never been trained to ask the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned nutrients and we've talked about protein, which is a macronutrient, <laughs> but what about some of the micronutrients, whether that's niacin or B6, P5P, pyridoxal-5-phosphorus, mm -hmm. some of these nutrients that people may associate with a one-a-day vitamin or something, who knows what they're taking. Um, you know, the one-a-day vitamin is... Which just isn't going to give you enough. Well, it's the RDA. It's the recommended disease allowance, right? It's right, just enough right. to keep you from getting berry, berry or scurvy, but it's, you know, it's not going to give you the nutrient amount that you really need to be, be helpful. But, but so what are some of the micronutrients that are commonly deficient in the clients that you work with? Okay, so all your B vitamins. So really what we're talking about are the cofactors that the brain requires to turn the amino acids into the neurotransmitters and to transmit the neurotransmitter signal through all the neurons in your brain. And this includes all your B vitamins, vitamins, so that includes niacin and vitamin B6, which is often deficient in people. Mm -hmm. It includes zinc, which is often deficient in people. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I have a client who's just been crying nonstop and I told her to take 100 milligrams of zinc and as she, in divided doses. And as she started taking it throughout the day, her crying got slowed down, stopped. She started laughing, right? A lot of her depression had been due to a zinc deficiency. Amazing. So anyway, yeah. Magnesium, uh, very often we're deficient in magnesium. And among other things, that's going to lead to anxiety and muscle tension, mm -hmm. right? And difficulty sleeping. Yeah. We need a little bit of iron. What a lot of people don't realize is that we can get too much iron. So people go out, get a good multivitamin, but say they're male or they're postmenopausal and not bleeding out iron every day. You don't want to have a multiple, a multivitamin that has iron in it if you're male or postmenopausal or a young kid, because you can get too much iron and it can become um, inflammatory and inflammation drives depression. Yeah and anxiety. There's some very re real biochemical reasons for that, but we also need fat. Mm -hmm. We need a lot of fat and we need the right fat. So we need cholesterol. They've actually done studies that have shown the big population studies that have shown that the lower the cholesterol is in the population, the higher is death by suicide and, and homicide. And in an individual, the lower their personal cholesterol is, the more likely they are to die of suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. If you look at the, the research shows that, as you mentioned, for men in particular, once it goes below 150, mm -hmm. 
then they're more likely to die of all causes, including suicide. Well, and that's true too. And for, for women in particular, cholesterol usually doesn't mean anything high, low or in between. It really doesn't mean anything. But for men, you know, if they're, they're trying to get men's cholesterol down as low as they can, and these are patients that, that I see, you know, clients that, that I see, so scary. you know, that you've seen and their whole problem, their fatigue, their nerve pain, their brain fog, their low libido, uh, impotence, all those things are because they're on a statin medications that have driven their cholesterol down so low that they can't make the hormones that they need. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. Absolutely. So that, you know, the brain is, I think uh, eight, 8% of it is fat. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of fat up there. And that's what allows one brain cell to communicate with another brain cell. Um, You use fish oil in your practice, right? Omega-3. I use omega-3 a lot. I actually think it's probably one of the best antidepressants in the whole entire world. And it kicks in within three days. Yeah. Do do you use, do you, do you go more um, the EPA or more DHA? Is there a, I don't. And I I know some people do, and I probably should Mm -hmm. just as long as they're balanced and there's a lot of them. That's kind of what I'm looking at. And I'm sure you've read some of the early research on this that identified that over the past hundred years, and this was about 25 years ago that the research was done. So, um, but to them over the past hundred years, the Western world's consumption of the omega-3s had dropped by 80%. Mm. So it's an essential nutrient. If we don't, we have to get it from food. If we don't, get any at all, we die. And if we don't get enough, something breaks. So I ask my students and I say, what would happen if you lost 80% of your income? Well, that's sort of what's happened to the Western world by losing 80% of this crucial nutrient is that we now have epidemic levels of depression, anxiety, learning disorders like ADD and dyslexia or ADHD. And then inflammatory disorders like migraines and asthma and arthritis. And all of these are connected by um, our body. If we don't have enough of the omega-3s, that might happen to us. Because they do so many different things in our body. They're anti-inflammatory. They're anti-depressant. They support cognition as well as keeping our blood flowing nicely and support, you know, a happy, healthy heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the stats now are, you know, you really need a balance of omega Mm six and then omega three, which is what you're talking about, omega three. And you really need a balance of that. At one time, I think it was something like two to one or one to one omega six, which you mainly get from grains and omega threes you get from flaxseed and, and certain green uh, leafy vegetables, but, uh, but mainly cold water fish and some, some livestock. Right. But, um, as we started feeding our cattle corn, <laughs> which cattle shouldn't be eating corn. Uh, what we're seeing is now people are just saturated when you're eating bread, which is omega six and wheat, That's right. eating corn oils or, uh, cooking the corn oils and canola oil, and then eating livestock that have been fed corn. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing that the ratio is something like uh, 15 to one. So 15 amount omega six to omega three, 15 yes. to one in autoimmune disease, 
we're seeing is 20 to one. So when you've got too much omega-6, mm-hmm. right. it creates inflammation. You need some. It's an essential right. fatty acid. It's essential nutrient. Yeah, we need, but need. we need much, much less. Much less. Yeah, absolutely. So it's right. no wonder that we're seeing, uh, you know, kids, you know, it's a, it's a epidemic, pandemic anyway, of, of, it depends on what country you're in, uh, that are pushing, you know, kids to be on these uh, ADD medications. And very often all they need is increased fish oil and tyrosine and maybe some theanine to stop the spinning and maybe, you know, um, reduce their inflammation and get all those cofactors in place. And it can make a tremendous difference to somebody's brain. Absolutely. And it's, so yeah, I don't treat ADD, ADHD anymore, but mm-hmm. I, I did early on. And I found across the board that if you could get the child to, to, to get on exactly the supplements you, you mentioned in a good, and, and I like a good multivitamin that nine times out of 10, it was a big turnaround That's uh, right. and diet and diet. A lot of times food allergies plays a role in that or just cleaning up their diet. Right. No, right. Getting, know, getting rid of the sugar and all of those liver toxins, like the preservatives and the food colorings and all of that, which some brains are very sensitive to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christina, this has been fascinating. I mean, I love this type of stuff. I mean, like I said, this is really what kind of got me interested in functional medicine early on was orthomolecular medicine, what we've been talking about today. And so I want to invite people that are watching this to, uh, to check out your website and the Academy for Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition is your course Mm -hmm. that, that people can take and learn more about this. So if they've got uh, a problem with addiction, they got a problem with some mental health issues, or they have a family member they're trying to help. I mean, what an incredible resource to have available for exactly. them that, that very few people understand this and very few people know really how to help somebody other than, as you mentioned, the, 80, the recidivism rate is what, 80%, uh, you're going to fall off the wagon again. So exactly. this is great. Now, what's the website, Christina, that they should go to to find out more about your work? Aminoacidtherapy.com. Perfect. So aminoacidtherapy.com is Christina's website. And there you can find some free resources, information about the Academy that we, I mean, she's been throwing out, Mm -hmm. we've been talking some nerd talk here (laughs) because we we both love this kind of stuff. Uh, But, but in her training, she breaks it all down for you in a way that's easy to understand and easy to apply. So I want to encourage you, if this resonates with you to, to check out her website and check out her work. Christina, thank you so much for being here. This has been fascinating. I'm going to have you come back on and we're going to talk some more nerd talk. Wonderful. Great fun, Roger. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks again. You too.